Welcome to Only Trying to Help, the podcast where we try to help you help other people. My name is Kate Watson, and today I have my good friend from way, way back. My friend Biz is with me. And um, you know what? I'm actually going to let you introduce yourself. I just want to say I'm really happy that you're here. I'm happy that we can you know, probably take what's, what's likely a very dark, heavy subject, and I'll bet I'll bet that we find a way to make it light, but um, do you want to say hello and tell tell the folks who you are, what you do? I do. Uh, my name is Elizabeth McElroy, also known as Biz occasionally for the, the in crowd. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am a hospice social worker and I have been for, oh, about seven years with a little um, break in between there. Uh, sometimes you need a break from all the death and dying, believe it or not. I do a lot of um, anticipatory grief work with my patients and their families. So I am anxious to tell you guys about that. Is a couple of seasons ago, um, my regular co-host and I, so Leslie and I, we did an episode about like helping a friend who's grieving. And I feel weird saying this, but we had so much fun (laughs) talking about that. And I feel like we were kind of laughing our asses off. And in retrospect, I guess death is kind of awkward and uncomfortable. And and maybe that's just how we were like getting through it. Um, But I wanted to bring you in to talk about this because I wanted to pick your brain. I mean, I suspect since you're a social worker who works with patients at the end of their lives and with their families who are facing that, you probably have a comfort level with the subject that very few people have. Uh-huh. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, you, you kind of nodded when I said, I guess this is just really awkward and uncomfortable, you know, feel free to, to, to like point it out if I'm making jokes that like are probably just easing my own discomfort here. But what do you think about that? Just like the difficulty we have with this subject. Yeah. Well, it's funny. There's no, um, faster way to think that hospice workers are like little death gremlin people than to sit in on a meeting when it's just us. It gets real dark. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think humor is the appropriate, in many cases, an appropriate coping mechanism, right? And it does, you can't exist constantly in a state of stress and anxiety and fear about death. Um, it's funny. It's funny that you say I have a comfort level. I, my husband calls me a death merchant. <laughs> so, so often we'll be talking about something and I somehow managed to bring it back to like death or grief or something like that. But that because there's a reason for that, right? It's that like death is inevitable and grief is a near constant part of our lives. Even if we're not talking about the death of a person that we love, there's, you know, life changes that, that make us grieve. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I have a weird comfort level with death, partly cause I'm around it all the day, all the day. <laughs> 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 so much so that I forget how to talk. Um, but it's also, there's like a, a freedom I feel now because I am 
with people all the time who are really, really ill and families that are really stressed out. And it is such a blessing to go home to my healthy family, touch wood and be in my healthy body, touch wood. Um, so yes, there's a comfort level, but also like an amazing freedom. That's like, man, nothing is really that bad. (laughs) Right. Right. But okay. So you're talking about how, you know, you have this comfort level that maybe may take some people by surprise. You know, your, oh, yeah. your husband, your husband is often caught off guard by how easily you can jump right into the death conversation. Yeah. I think it gives people the creeps. <laughs> <laughs> but I get it. Like, it's a weird thing to just be like, I don't know. You live, you die. What can you do? <laughs> that is uh, flippant sometimes. Well, you know, uh, you're calling it flippant, but I, I, I happen to think that the way so many of us deal with these kind of awkward conversations about death and grief can maybe border on flippant as well. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why it has become acceptable to always lean on the same old crappy canned line. Like when you're talking to someone who's grieving, like, I'm so sorry for your loss. Mm -hmm. Like in no other area of life, is it acceptable to just like spit out a line when somebody's going through something difficult. And yet we do this, we become like these robots who recite a standard line. And I find that very inauthentic and uncomfortable and a little, I'm kind of stretching the definition of the word flippant here, but maybe slightly dismissive of like a real experience that a person is having. And you're just going to pull out your standard line of you're in my thoughts and prayers. Mm -hmm. Um, Why do we do that? Why do we have these lines and why do we let each other get away with it? Well, the first part's a little easier to answer. So I'm going to start there. Uh, and for, I mean, maybe the answer is the same to both, right? Because there's nothing to say. So much of my work is about helping people to just sit with discomfort mm-hmm. and, and sit with their grief and like feel their feelings and not rush in to try to make everything okay. It's not okay. And I think yeah. There is a fear that if you say nothing, if you just sit with that uncomfortable silence, or if you say something like, I don't know what to say, Mm -hmm. um, that it will make people feel worse. When I think what you're saying is it's the opposite, right? That people feel worse when they get these sort of like, so sorry for your loss. She's in a better place, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be thinking of you. Okay. Thanks. Um, <laughs> it, it does, it does feel to me like uh, you probably said that to 20 people over the last year. Like, you know, are, are you really seeing me when you say that line? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, you know, you, you talk about how, you know, you try to help people sit with discomfort. You know, I, I, I want to be an optimist biz, but the, the pessimist in me is like, yeah, that's never going to happen. <laughs> are never going to sit in discomfort. Um, and it, it makes me just like a little hopeless about the whole thing. And, and I, I won't stay hopeless, but for a moment anyway, it makes me feel like, you know, maybe we'll always be a little awkward about death um, because it does require us to be so uncomfortable. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it, it's certainly, it is tricky and it's tricky too. Cause you know, 
no matter what your faith background is or what your beliefs are, none of us can know for sure what happens after we die. And Mm. I think that too adds to a level of fear and discomfort of like, I don't actually know what to tell you because we're talking about this completely, you know, existential crisis thing. Yeah. (laughs) What happens when we die? Don't know. You know, I, I tend to have a little pushback when like, I'm the one who's grieving and someone says, Oh, they're in a better place. You're like, it immediately provokes this like defensive thing in me. Like, you don't know, (laughs) You know you don't know what's going on, but I'll tell you one day. And I sort of hope this person's listening. Um, one day I was going through something really difficult. It wasn't exactly death and loss, but grief in a different form. Uh And a friend of mine reached out to me and said, Kate, I don't know if you're a praying person, but I will be praying for you. And that just had a whole different spin on it that felt really nice to me. Mm -hmm. Like it did, it wasn't full of all these assumptions. It wasn't full of um, like, you know, pushing some message on me. It was, it was like, I, I, I don't know for sure what will be helpful for you to hear or to know right now, but I'm going to tell you what I'm up to. And he said, I'll be praying for you. And that, that felt lovely to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause it gave, it gave you permission to accept it or not accept it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a thing that I'm doing and I'm doing <laughs> it because I, it's an act of service and an act of love to you and to you, it can mean nothing, but like the act, you know, mm-hmm. means something, even if there's, you don't believe it goes anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I think there's this uh, correct me if I'm using codependent wrong here. I think people overuse it a lot, but I, I think it applies. I think there's this sort of codependent thing. Like, like, let's say, you know, I'm just going to make up names. Um, you know, Bob and Joe, you know, Joe is grieving, uh, the loss of someone in his life. And Bob says, Oh my gosh, I don't know what to say, Joe. I don't know how to help you. Bob seems like, all in distress about Joe's loss. Mm -hmm. Joe feels like, well, now I need to take care of Bob. Mm -hmm. And, and I think what was nice about my friend who said, I'll be praying for you is I felt like, okay, so he's okay. (laughs) (laughs) He's got it under control. (laughs) He's fine. I I don't have to worry about my friend being like in distress about my grief. My friend is handling my grief. Well, he's going to go pray. And I felt like, I don't need to worry about him then he's all set. Uh, and, th- and that is sort of the codependent thing that happens is like the griever and the, and the helper are like all trying to help each other. Uh-huh. It gets messy. It does when, when really the most affected, and, I mean, and we can talk about, you know, what's affected at different points in the sort of like grief timeline, but what really is most effective most of the time is just to like be, with someone. And if, if that means being quiet together, or maybe it means changing the subject to something innocuous, like the weather, or maybe it means sharing a memory. I mean, I can tell you personally, um, as Kate knows, but your listeners probably do not because they don't know me. (laughs) Uh, I lost my sister when I was a teenager and I lost my mom um, when I was pregnant with my first child, which are like, sometimes when I tell people those facts about me, their reaction is like, so I feel bad for saying it because their reaction is so upset because it's, it's horrible. (laughs) 
right. and, and you feel like you broke the person like, yes. oh, no, you were having such a good day. And then I right. told you about the death in my life. Yeah, right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> sort of like what you're saying that then like it, it switches and it's not even, mm-hmm. you know, my grief is, is um, I'm in the longer phase of my grief now. It's not even so fresh and acute, but in those moments, I'm like, form, you know, trying to form a connection with someone <laughs> or I brought it up because they're on my mind and I need to remember them, you know, mm-hmm. and memorialize them. Um, and so I hear what you're saying that sometimes people react like that. It's like, no, I just want you to be here with me. I just want you to hear that I had a sister and I had a mother and they're not physically with me, mm-hmm. but everything about me is because of these two women, you yeah. know? So I have to share that or else you won't ever really know anything about me. It's such a great example, uh, better than my Bob and Joe one, but, (laughs) but like, it's a great example because you're, 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 you're telling the story of, of this attempt to connect with people. Mm -hmm. And when, when the response from someone is, Oh my God, I'm in distress now. Well, then you got the opposite of connecting with someone. You you now feel like you have to take care of them or hold them up in some way. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's got to be a way without without faking it, like really authentically, there's got to be a way to let people know I can handle this. You know, you can you can come to me when you're grieving or mourning and you're going through loss and it won't break me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I liked about my friend saying, it was just so easy breezy. He was like, Hey, I don't know if you're uh, like a praying person, but I'll be praying for you. Mm-hmm. And he just seemed so like in control of the whole thing. And I was like, good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> good. You've got your shit together, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm covered. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm covered. You're covered. Like, I don't feel, I don't feel like I ruined your day. Yeah. I feel like you're going to take this bad news that I've given you and you're going to go do something with it. Like, cool. Like, I feel like, I feel like it was productive in some way. Um, And I also just, I also just really appreciate what you're talking about, like just being with people. I I think we need to learn how to see grieving people as also regular people. Um, You know, sometimes we like avoid that person who's gone through loss. Like, oh, I can't, I can't call Carly, Carly just lost her grandmother. I can't invite her out. I, we we can't watch TV and eat pizza. She's she's grieving. Yeah. Maybe Carly wants to watch TV and eat pizza. Like maybe we can just be around people who are going through this and maybe we don't need to give them all this space unless that's what the person needs or wants or has asked for, but sometimes we could just treat them like our friends. Right. Yeah. And you, that's such a good point. I think about that happens a lot with um, what are called stigmatized losses, right? If someone dies uh, by suicide or overdose, um, a parent who loses a child, which is fully unimaginable. Um, those kinds of losses that are not like you, you expect to lose your grandparents, right? You get to a certain age, you expect to lose your parents, um, mm-hmm. even a spouse, I think. But there are certain losses that are so stigmatized that I think the person feels even more isolated because that reaction is like, I can't, you're not a normal person anymore, right? Yeah. Tragedy has befallen you and I don't know what to do with that. So I'm just going to pretend it's not happening. Yeah. I'm going to stay away. Um, yeah. I think that's, I think that's what a lot of people do is 
they feel like, oh, it's Friday night. I would normally call up so-and-so and do happy hour, but I can't. Mm-hmm. And, and my argument is, okay, maybe you can't do happy hour, uh, you know, but, but that, sh- that should be your friend's decision. The, the person who's going through the grieving, um, you can still call them up. You don't have to avoid them entirely. And you could say, what feels okay to you? Do you want to just hang out? Do you need some space? Do you want to totally check out and forget about this? But I think sometimes our instinct is to say, oh, I can't even contact that person right now because there's there's been a death in their family or a loss of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may be kind of overdoing it. We may be really leaving people hanging. Yeah, absolutely. I think we sometimes get the idea that um, grief, or really any tough emotion, but grief in this instance is something we have to do alone that mm. you have to like sort of go through it and heal and then you can like re-enter society. <laughs> but that's not the case, right? Like grieving is number one, a universal experience. And number two, I think it is better to do it with others, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I know in my hospice work, part of the joy of my work is I get to hear people's love stories and I get to hear Mm -hmm people's like best family tall tales and and stuff like that. And it is, I get to enter their grief in a way that is such an honor, but also like, that's, that's the experience, right. To be like, let me tell you about the person we are losing. Yeah. Let me tell you about the life that is ending. And in making that connection, I think it makes things a little easier for a little while. Mm Mm-hmm. Hmm. What do you, what do you wish more people understood about loss or grief, even if it's not as a result of someone dying, but just loss in general? Mm-hmm. Um, I really, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was a great lady. Okay. Mm-hmm. She's not I will, bad. I will not speak ill of her. <laughs> she's, she's not bad. <laughs> However, I think, um, we have taken the five stages of grief model and absolutely bastardized it into making it, you know, a five-step process to get over it. <laughs> something, something it was never meant to be. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It was not created for that purpose. It was whatever. We're so, we're so far from that. Right. <laughs> uh, but I just, I really reject the idea that there's like tasks to complete. And like steps to complete. And that will get you out of your grief. That it's linear. Right. Right. That's Mm -hmm. not how it works. And certainly like, is there bargaining? Is there fear? Is there acceptance? Of course. But there are things that you kind of go back to, right? Mm -hmm. You don't like reach acceptance and then that's it. You never grieve again. (laughs) Yeah. It, it isn't a straight line. Yes. But I but I'm searching for what is it then? Is it just like overlapping processes? Uh maybe we don't know. Yeah, so I always imagine it as um ocean waves. Mm. So sometimes you're like standing at the shore and they're just little at your feet, you know, and they're fine and then occasionally you are just minding your own business and you just get knocked over by a giant yeah. wave. And that can happen forever. You know, it can happen um, 
on holidays or anniversaries. It, it can happen sometimes just when you're like living your life and all of a sudden you have this, you know, I don't know, like a piece of music or a, a poem or something will move you. And for me, like that's always can be tied to my grief. I'll be like yeah. thinking I'm an emotionally healthy person. <laughs> and then I'll hear a song and I'll be like, oh my God. <laughs> well, no one comes to this podcast to hear from emotionally healthy people. <laughs> so that's the good news. <laughs> that's the good news. I never promised emotionally healthy people on this podcast. Sure. Um, you know what I like about the wave analogy is that, um, you know, some waves feel nice, mm -hmm. you know, some, some waves are refreshing or even kind of like a fun little ride mm -hmm. and other waves are scary and will, you know, take your breath away in a bad way. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and really, you know, mess you up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I think, I think that's part of what works about that wave analogy is some of them feel good. Some of them, not so good. Some of mm -hmm. them are small and, maybe not that powerful and others are very powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to a degree they may be unpredictable. Yeah. 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 I think that is, that is what can be so, um, what is the word? Like it throws you off. So destabilizing about, yeah. about grieving is that you can like think that you're feeling better, that, that enough time has passed that you, are not going to have one of those again. And then mm -hmm. you do. Yeah. I was just going to say very likely we're going to hear from some surfing expert out there who says waves are predictable, <laughs> but, but for two, for two, <laughs> for two ladies in the Philadelphia area, I don't know. It seems like waves are unpredictable. <laughs> <laughs> very unpredictable. Sometimes you lose your bathing suit top. It's a whole thing. How are we supposed to know? Who can even tell about the riptide? We're not marine biologists. I can't believe you even just came up with riptide. I don't, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have even like had that language. So there you go. It shows you what we know about waves. Um, but what else, what else feels important? You think, I mean, anything that you feel like, you know, if someone's going to give 20 to 30 minutes to listening to a podcast about grief, <laughs> what should they walk away with? You think? Yeah. Well, so everything I just said about, uh, you know, how, grief is never ending. I know that sounds bleak, but listen, there is a sweet side to that, right? There is a sweetness in our grief. And I think part of what you can do as someone who's only trying to help <laughs> is you can help the griever find the sweetness in their grief. Mm -hmm. So there is nothing I like better than when a friend of mine who knew my mom or knew my sister can share a memory with me, one that I remember or one that I never knew about. That's such a, a delight. You know, that's how yeah. we keep people alive who aren't with us anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. We, by sharing, sharing experiences and memories and even just saying my, my husband and I are really fond of saying, can you imagine what mom would be saying about this? <laughs> and it is a lovely, a lovely way to keep her with us. Yeah. You know, strangely, right before we logged on to this Zoom meeting for this recording, I was just like flipping through Facebook and 
I, I'm telling you, I wasn't searching for this. It just came up like a minute before your face appeared here. <laughs> it was someone posted a question like, what do you wish more people understood about grief? And I was like, what? This is like <laughs> perfect. So of course there were like a hundred comments on this post. I click on the comments thinking I'm going to get some good material for the podcast right now. And comment after comment just said, grief never ends. It never ends. It never ends. And I was sitting here like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> that sounds awful. Like that, that did seem so dark and, and just scary. And, and I, my first thought was, well, I can't say that on the podcast. Like people will turn it off. But I'm bringing it up now because you're sharing like the the beautiful side to that, which is, you know, this is a way of keeping someone alive. And so, um, you know, to, to say that grief never ends is really another way of saying this person is always with you. And that doesn't seem so scary and, and dramatic. But I'll <laughs> tell you, I'll tell you, reading the Facebook post, I was like, holy Jesus, these Sounds people, <laughs> they need to let some things go. <laughs> Uh, but I get it now. I, I mean, I feel like you helped me understand that what they're trying to say mm-hmm. is that, you know, you're, you're, you're holding these memories with you in a way that may eventually feel nice and, and be enjoyable. Yeah, it might. I mean, I can't promise that. It sure. might. Yeah, there's always I mean, there's being a human being means navigating the minefield of emotions, right? <laughs> No, I know people who avoid that like the plague. <laughs> no, Biz. No, being, being us, being Kate and Biz since we were 12 years old, that means navigating a minefield of emotions. But you know what? That's what I love about us because we go there. Um, not all people do. I know. Even as I was saying it, I was like, I guess not everyone feels um, all their emotions at an 11 at all times. <laughs> It's hard to imagine because bless them. <laughs> I guess. It you know, it's it's listen, it's just like what you're saying with grief. Sure, you could not feel all your emotions and kind of numb yourself out, but you also miss the beauty of them. Yes. Um, you miss you miss the good side. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's a vote for be more like us, people. <laughs> Always our goal. Get people on our side. Basically, I come back to that at every podcast. If you could just be, <laughs> be a little like bit, me. be a little bit more like me, that would be great. Um, listen, this was really helpful. I I know that when I tried to do this episode a couple years ago, you know, Leslie and I were kind of flailing, like I don't know, what do you say about grief? And we <laughs> did have a good time, but I feel like I did justice this time because I brought in somebody this time who really knows what she's talking about. So I do appreciate that so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm always happy to talk about death and dying. It's my jam. <laughs> I said, that's why I'm always such a hit at parties. Oh, yeah. On my, on my death talk.
since that day I live in a dream.